0: or follow-up comments, contact us anytime by emailing info at broadwaycoc.com. I'm Jed Lovejoy, and these are Conversations with Dan. All right, hello, everybody, and welcome to another one of our Conversations here with Dan. Dan. Uh, As always, we appreciate hearing from you guys and all the different comments we get back and forth. Uh, Just drop a reminder that if they are listening to us on podcasts or something, if you'd take a moment and either share our podcast with someone else or recommend us, leave us a note there on iTunes and stuff, that always helps. We like to hear your comments. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how we get all of our questions. Sometimes people still ask, "Do we really get these questions from people, or is it just me and you, like picking topics we want to do?" As you can tell by our reactions, sometimes they are not questions we always want to do, but we try our best to answer. Um, this week's question came in, and it went, uh, "Well, it basically was just asking, what exactly is public sin that requires a public confession?"
1: Well I suppose a public sin would be like if you go out in the middle of everybody in downtown and you beat somebody in front of everybody, that would be a public sin.
0: Nowadays it's like if they have it on video <clears throat> you out doing it. Yeah, some somewhat like that. However, let's try to give them a biblical answer. That's probably good because yeah. there's just that background, you know, and especially in our faith background, I'm sure it's like this in other churches that it's Public sin or sin in general is the walk down the aisle and mm-hmm. tell everybody sort of thing. So I imagine that's the direction this is coming from. Yeah. Well, the
1: Bible speaks of sinning against God. And for example, in the Old Testament, one of the most prominent people whose sin became quite public and everything was David. Uh huh. And of course, David. Committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he ended up providing for the murder of Uriah the Hittite and all that stuff. And in Psalm 32, David talks about his struggle with the guilt of that sin mm-hmm. and what he did, starting in
0: verse 3, reading through verse 5, if you would there, please. Sure. Uh, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You'll notice that he was miserable in verse 3 and 4 when he
1: kept... Mm -hmm. in his sin and kept silent about it. But then it says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. Hmm. I confessed it to the Lord. See, he said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Right. So the Bible teaches us in both Old and New Testaments that we should confess our sins to the Lord. Uh, Sin and guilt is a matter between me and... And God, mm-hmm. God holds me guilty. We've looked at passages like Leviticus chapter four, verse thirteen, verse twenty, and some passages like that. Right, guilt is held against us in the mind of God, and it's God who releases that guilt. So, um, in Psalm fifty-one, which is similar to Psalm thirty-two, which is also mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> a um, confession, as it were, of David's sin. Yeah. Um read
0: uh, verse 3 and 4 there for us if yeah. you would. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be just so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. All right. So
1: David certainly sinned against some people, but he also mm-hmm. primarily he sinned against God and he needed forgiveness. From God. And that's um, with all sin. There's not like a specific type you have to confess to God. It's sin all in sin. general. All sin. Yeah. And confession means more than admission. Confession is a sincere turning from that sin mm-hmm. and acknowledging it to God and, and getting right, trying to do right in the sight of God. Uh, 1 John 1 9. It says, if we confess our sins, Mm -hmm. he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not talking about confessing them to a person. It's talking about
0: confessing them to God. And so maybe before we keep going towards this idea of what's a public sin and how does that play into this modern context, do we maybe do a disservice with this concept by separating out confession and repentance making confession just the, hey, I'm going to say it out loud, and repentance is the doing something about it. Yes. Um, confession and repentance are
1: hand in hand. And if if you're confessing a sin in the biblical way, there's repentance. Yeah. You're not just saying, oh, yeah, I did it. I'm glad I did it. I'm going to do it again. That's not confession. Right. Um, in 2 Corinthians, was it, 7.10, it says, Godly sorrow produces repentance. Mm-hmm. It brings no regret, but the sorrow of the world... Produces death. So uh, we're sorry for sin. We we repent of that sin. We acknowledge it and repent of it to God, and God forgives us of that sin. However, there are times when we have offended other people, Mm -hmm. and we need to get right with other people. For example, in Matthew 5, I thought that might be where we were headed. Yeah. Matthew 5, about verse. um, 22 or 3 or something, maybe a little bit further. I'll have to look. If you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember
0: that your brother has ought against you. What verse is that? Yeah, that's 23. Okay, read it there for us. Uh, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly while you're a accuser. So if you know that you have wronged another
1: individual person Mm -hmm. and you know that you've hurt that person and you've wronged that person, then it is your responsibility to go to that person and acknowledge that wrong to that person and get that relationship right. Yeah. Um, So that's part of your responsibility to God. Uh, In... One of the verses that's used most often for the idea of coming down aisles, which this passage in Matthew 5 is not about going down any aisle. Right. It's about me going to you and saying, I called you a knothead. You're not that bad of a knothead. I'm sorry.
0: See? I forgive you. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) That's just a hypothetical
0: example. Of course. But, but it's just, it's that one to another sort of thing that's being discussed here. Right. So where do we get this? All right, so now you've sinned, you need to go down front. Well, there's there's two possibilities here. Okay.
1: One is, there's a passage in James 5, and every, every um, passage has to be taken in its context. Mm-hmm. The book of James is a book about <clears throat> the rich and the poor who were in a Literally a class war. Right. Uh, According to chapter 4, they were literally killing each each other. They were withholding wages from each other. There was an actual fight taking place between these people. People in the church in both classes, both management and labor, if you will, were caught up into this conflict, and some of them acted like they shouldn't have acted. And so when you get down here to um, James five sixteen, he says,
0: It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. All right. So if you've read the book of James and you don't just take this verse out of context,
1: uh, landowner so-and-so has abused his workers and held back their wages and been mean to them. And in response, those whose wages were held back probably got up and burned his barn and and maybe mm-hmm. attacked his family and did all this, all, both of which were wrong. Right. He says in the earlier passage in James 1, the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Mm. So these two guys realize that they've sinned, and so they come to each other and they say, look, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I should never have withheld your wages. That was wrong, and I apologize, and here's your wages. And the guy, other guy says, well, I'm also supposed to be a Christian, and even though you withheld my wages and it hurt me and made me mad, I never should have burned your barn. That was a sin against God and you, and I'm sorry. And they both hug each other, and they both pray for each other. Mm-hmm. See, that's what you have in James yeah, 5. There's no hint of churches or aisles or anything like that. Right. However, there's another one, Okay, comma. comma. <laughs> <laughs> we do have the case in 1 Corinthians 5. where we have a man that was living with his father's wife, and all of the church in Corinth knew it. Mm -hmm. And they were allowing it to go on and not doing anything about it Mm -hmm. instead of intervening and demanding that the people separate that relationship. So having uh, Paul's instruction starting in verse
0: 4, if you will, 1 Corinthians 5, 4. Yeah. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. All right. So publicly, these
1: people were to withdraw their fellowship from this impenitent sinner, somebody who would not stop fornicating with his father's wife. Hmm. So they were to publicly put him out of their fellowship. Now, if you go to two core, okay, chapter two, mm-hmm. that had worked, and they were um, the guy had not continued in that relationship. He had stopped that relationship. Start with verse five, okay.
0: Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, so that, or that he may be overwhelmed by the excessive sorrow. All right. So verse 6, the
1: punishment inflicted on him by the majority. Well, that's when they put him away, put him out of the church. Mm-hmm. But he had stopped living with his father's wife. Mm. And they were not ready to accept him back, evidently. They were going to be real hard on him. And he said, no, you need to forgive him and comfort him yeah. so that he will not be uh, overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And then read verse 8. Yeah. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. All right. That's why well, I wrote you. So when somebody is involved in a sin and people know about it. Mm-hmm. Let's say that someone has been having a problem with um, drunkenness, and people know about it. And that person repents of that drunkenness and starts getting into a program and gets into AA meetings or whatever, and they're really working hard on it, and and, and everybody, you know, people usually know what's going on, and everybody knows he's working hard on it. Well, I haven't seen so-and-so drunk for a long time. Well, how do you know he's how do you know he's repented? Well, he hadn't drank for a long time. That's that shows yeah. me. So, <clears throat> but he hasn't walked down the aisle yet. But this passage says <laughs> that you know, in most cases today, the person hasn't been withdrawn from. Right. If the person has been withdrawn from and we're really checking on that person's spiritual welfare, we're going to know that they've repented and that they've gotten into a program or something and they're trying and And we should be going to them and saying, you know, Mm -hmm. you're doing much better in your life and we're so glad and we love you and we want you to know that we want you back at church. Um, Now, surely if if the church doesn't know that the person has quit this sin, Mm -hmm. it would certainly help everything if the person would go to somebody, an elder or the preacher or somebody and say, you know, I'm not living in this relationship anymore, and I realized it was wrong, and I want to be back in a relationship with, uh, with yeah. the church. And so, you know, you could get up as the worship leader on Sunday, or the preacher could, or one of the elders, or somebody else, and they could say, you know, we want everybody to know that Brother so and so's turned his life around, and mm-hmm. he's here with us, and we need to... Encourage him and lift him up and everything. It's not that he had to walk the aisle, but somehow, yeah. some way, if if fellowship has been withdrawn,
0: right, and that's a big he part. needs to like show you said in, in today's mm-hmm. day and age, there's not a lot of we withdrew fellowship from someone. There and should be probably more of it there. Yeah. I know there should be, but
1: but if fellowship hasn't been withdrawn, for example, if somebody hasn't been coming to church, mm-hmm. and people have been to that person and they they have encouraged that person. Maybe they haven't been to church for three or four months, and all of a sudden they start coming back to church. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you know whether they've repented of not coming to church or not?
0: Mm. Because usually not coming to church was more than just, oh, they stopped walking the door. Well, yeah, but they've started coming back to church. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So it's kind of obvious that they're no longer
1: forsaking the assembly. Mm -hmm. So rather than making them walk the aisle, which there's no scripture for anywhere, mm-hmm. why don't we just do what this says and confirm our love to them and say, we're so glad you're back with us. And
0: ah. So if someone wants to go down the aisle and they're asking for the prayers of the church because they want strength and whatever. Now that's a
1: whole different that's matter. That's all good.
0: That's wonderful. It's a but privilege. We're, but we're saying there's nothing scripture that says that if someone has messed up and everyone knows about it that they have to walk down front and confirm that and basically take their public lashings from everyone. Yeah, the idea, I think, in many people's
1: minds is that they're, that God will not forgive a person until they walk down front.
0: Mm. But it's just as confirming. Number <laughs> one, they've confessed and repented of those sins to God. Right. And then two... And it's obvious that, they're not doing them anymore. Yeah, and there's uh, there's an element of they have to have relationship in that congregation. That's so, the practical side of this. Yes. They have they have a relationship
1: with the congregation. And so there's got to be some means. Mm. It's not, we're not particular what, but there's got to be some means of communicating with people in the congregation that I'm not in that situation. I'm really trying to work on that sin. And yeah. people acknowledge that and welcome that person. But that doesn't necessarily at all mean walking down the aisle and making some kind of yeah. a public statement. So
0: it's not that it's wrong, but well, it's, it's, another, it's, it's another example of one of those things that maybe we have bound on. In yes, this? it's a privilege to be able to do that and mm-hmm. say,
1: look, <clears throat> I've been an alcoholic for five years <clears throat> and I've had a terrible time and I'm in a program now and I've been sober for For three months, and I'm really working on this, and I could really use
0: y'all's love and prayers to help me with this. That's a privilege and a blessing. Yeah, and the church should see that as a great Mm. opportunity to display community and fellowship and love to that person. Right. than, well, there's the confirming of all of our rumors that we've been spreading. If a man is overtaken in
1: a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness looking to yourselves lest you also be tempted and bear each other's burdens and so fulfill Uh. the law of christ galatians 6 1 and 2 Uh uh-huh so there we have an opportunity to bear people's burdens so as you've said very well this is a privilege that we have to ask the prayers of brothers and sisters for whatever Mm. um and practically speaking If everybody knows about this sin and everything, it's it's very good and needful to tell
0: others and so forth. There's just a big element of the trust that you have to have with the spiritual leaders in your congregation, be it a minister, an elder, a deacon, just a close personal friend in that congregation, whatever it is. I
1: think I think if if we were to get into the area that we talked about in our hermeneutics discussion about necessary inferences, you know, uh, or when when something is strongly implied in scripture, uh-huh. that would be in such a case when fellowship has been withdrawn from somebody publicly and officially by the church. Yeah, then there would have to be some indication on the party's part to the church that that. Yeah. is not going on not that that's a requirement for God to forgive them right but it certainly is a requirement for them to be taken back into the fellowship of the church yeah. and that's
0: what we were seeing there in the first and second Corinthians right yeah right but not necessarily that Paul's just going and this is the exact thing that you have to do and they have to walk front and everyone's going to hold hands and... <clears throat> another scripture that might
1: help us a little bit, go to and this will be the last one go to okay. 2 Thess 3:14 and 50 okay
0: second Thessalonians 3:14 and 50
1: okay 14 and 15. this is talking in a particular case here about
0: people that were refusing to work mm-hmm. for a living go ahead okay if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So even when you when you when you this person is in a sinful
1: state and you're, you're you mark them because they won't repent. Verse fifteen seems to say to me that. I still don't treat him as an enemy. Mm-hmm. I continue to encourage him and say, I haven't given up on you. We love you. We're, we yeah. want you to come back. And
0: So, it, so it's that <clears throat> even if we go to that point that a lot of people are probably uncomfortable with, and even those of us who look at the application of it are uncomfortable with, of withdrawing fellowship from someone, that can be difficult. Even in that case, you're going, that doesn't mean he's like, forever lost and gone away and no. you turn your back on him every time and again, you see again, let him. me say, whether we're uncomfortable with it or not, the Bible teaches that. Oh, yeah.
1: But yeah. we should still be reaching after these people's souls because the whole point of the withdrawal from the people, if we withdraw from this is to get them back, not yeah. to run them
0: off forever. Right. Okay. Well, there we go. Hopefully that answers that question, maybe spurs on a couple of other thoughts and comments out there. So, as usual, thanks, Dan. And y'all have a good week. Have a good one. Thanks again for listening to these weekly conversations between myself and Dr. Dan Owen. Conversations with Dan is an outreach and teaching ministry of the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. You can find us online through most of the major social media sites or through our website, BroadwayCOC.com.